Welcome to Navigating Your Financial Journey with Kelly and Matt from Palomar Wealth. In this podcast, we help individuals and families who are ready to create stability for now, security for the future, and flexibility for those moments that change life's trajectory. Please join us as we plot the course towards financial success. Okay, welcome to another episode of Navigating Your Financial Journey. This is Matt. And I'm Kelly. And today we are going to be talking about risk management, a very important foundational item when we talk about the house of security. This is literally part of the basement, so uh, make sure it doesn't cave in on you. Yeah, we want that strong foundation so you can build on that. And so we want to talk a little bit about why this um, idea of risk management is going to help you. And so we'll define uh, different aspects of risk and talk about different insurance that is out there. But we're really here talking about the concepts. We're not so focused on the exact products that are out there. So we're hoping to guide you along your journey so that you can um, be a more informed consumer. Yeah. And before we dive into our specific topics, an important thing we wanted to cover is you know, what can you, how, how do you start? What's, what's the first place to start? And I think having an inventory of what you currently have. And so that could be looking at what is offered through work. Cause I think a lot of times there's people that don't understand some of the options that they either can elect to have at work or that are automatically just part of their benefit package. So taking an inventory of everything you have. Uh, and then after that comes the part of evaluating, okay, are all of my needs being met? Um, and that could be changing over time. So if you've gone through this exercise in the past, now may be the time to do it again. You know, if you've been in your home for a long time, uh, is your coverage, you know, kept up with what costs have, have changed? Um, so, so many different reasons to revisit that if you've done this in the past. Absolutely. And then one of the other fantastic benefits you can have, um, once you've gone through that process of the inventory and evaluation is having the peace of mind that you do have the right coverage. It's going to meet your needs and that you're fine financial foundation is strong. Okay, so let's jump into our kind of bullet list of things we were going to cover today. One is just what is risk, having a kind of a simple understanding of of that from a definition standpoint. You know, for the most part has a negative connotation. You hear the word risk and you're going to associate that with, you know, negativity. That's not really true. I mean, in its basic sense, Risk is, you know, the chance of something happening, that an occurrence could happen, and that could be positive or negative. Yeah, it's all probability, and it's not necessarily right. that it could be a bad thing. Even though you might say a positive risk, and that sounds like an oxymoron, it's oh. it can happen. Yeah. And so I will say, though, that our conversation today will be, you know, addressing those type of risk management solutions to help in a negative risk situation, but just understanding what risk is. It's, it's a chance. Yeah, and so we've got some different concepts, um, risk avoidance and risk transfer. So we want to think about how are we able to reduce our risks, so not maybe skydiving or anything that <laughs> might bring additional risk to your life that could potentially be optional. Um, then we can also think about transferring the risks that are more catastrophic, even if they're a low frequency of occurrence. So you think about insurance, and typically it's for covering those once-in-a-lifetime negative events really and so that's where we really want to focus today yeah and so you know thinking about the categories of insurance first looking at we were going to talk about health coverage and this can be kind of looked at in different life phases 
Uh, obviously, your health will ebb and flow depending on your, your age and physical uh, status. So early on, you know, your coverage is probably going to be related to either employer coverage. You might get covered yourself through the marketplace. Some people still don't have any coverage. You know, they feel like, okay, I'm healthy. I, I'm not going to commit those resources to that coverage. And again, that goes to that risk avoidance versus transfer concept. Yeah, and we have a lot of people who are offered health insurance uh, if they have a full benefit package through their employer. And so that limits a little bit to what the employer has already agreed to, but it does give, um, I think, a large majority of Americans access to health care through their employer. Yeah. You will eventually hit that age 65, which currently is the Medicare age, and everyone kind of shifts over to that government coverage once they hit what will air quotes, the retirement phase of their life. Um, Medicare, you know, has specific things that it covers and there's things that it does not cover. And so you have to assess, again, based on your situation, okay, am, are all of my risk, you know, categories covered? If not, do I want to have them covered through a product? Am I just going to accept that risk? Uh, so there's gap coverages and other things that can be added on even at that stage as well. Yeah, for the most part, I think people are very familiar with the traditional form of insurance where they pay a premium and then the health insurer will pay uh, a portion, like 80% typically, mm -hmm. of uh, the costs um, once they've met their deductible. And then there are the co-pays. So each time you go to a medical professional, you're required for, <laughs> to yeah, pay a small portion. Yeah, your predetermined co-pays. So there are a lot of aspects to think about when it comes to health insurance and it becomes a little overwhelming if you're unfamiliar with some of the terms and what they mean. And so we just really want to highlight just some of the basic definitions and hope you are able to use that in your, in your experience with your health insurance. So Matt, if you could share a little bit about you know, the, the titles of like deductible, maximum yeah. out of pocket. Yeah. So, things. and this has good tie-ins to other episodes. You know, we were talking about budgeting previously because we talk about your deductible or your MOOP, the max out of pocket, uh, that could tie into part of your other planning with, okay, how much, you know, liquid resources do I need to have if a health event triggered a lot of these costs? So the deductible, again, varies based on the plan that you have, but really your insurance isn't going to step in to foot some of the bills until you've reached that predetermined deductible and you've got in network and on there, you know, there's a lot of in the weeds we're not going to get into, but you yeah. know, there's that just base level amount that you're going to have to be uh, on the hook for yourself personally. And they also like as us, we have a family. Each of us have our own families. There's the individual portion, yeah. and there's the family yeah. portion. So just making sure you're aware of what your numbers are. And to Matt's point about budgeting, do you have enough liquid resources to cover? If you had to max out that family deductible, what would that look like? And some of the plans nowadays, they're offering the high deductible plans. And that's where you walk into it knowing that the deductible is very high, but then the premiums are lower. And then you can set up um, the health savings account, which uh, a lot of people are becoming more aware of. It's, I think, a newer um, factor, feature of, yeah, of health insurance. It's newer in the overall market, and it's a nice way to save some additional funds a lot of people have been saving those till the retirement year they're not necessarily using it as a supplement to cover their ongoing costs but yeah 
Yeah, there's a triple tax benefit with those because you get the deduction when you make the contribution, and right. there are limits each year which change, so always check to see what those are. And um, I think there are also um, income limits for that, or no? The HSA, I don't believe, has okay. any income limits. There's so many tax yes. <laughs> questions in, in this situation, but not that situation. Yeah. That's why I'm glad Matt is a CPA, and we can always go, and tell me more about that. Yeah. Um, but just know that that's another option, and so um, people will use that you know, tax deduction, and then it grows tax-free. And then uh, if you take it out for qualified medical expenses, then it is not taxed when the, the funds go out. Right. So people will save that for their later years. And it doesn't have to be used just on you. It could, might be your HSA account, but you can be using that for a spouse, children, other people that, you know, are dependents of your household, things like that. Yeah, some interesting strategies there. Um, but let's move over to um, what people are probably more familiar with if they own a home or drive a car. So property and casualty. That's PNC insurance. I wanted to talk about what we called the three slashes. If you see your policy, a lot of times you'll see these numbers and broken, three numbers broken up with slash marks. And what those stand for is actually, and I'm talking about auto insurance in this case, mm -hmm. uh, the first number is the bodily injury coverage for one person. The second is the bodily injury liability for all persons. And the last is the property liability for damage. So the example is, okay, you're in a car wreck. There's a limit for what's going to be covered for a single person injured in that event. Mm -hmm. Then a just overall total of all people's injured. And then a piece that's if, you know, you hit a mailbox or cause property damage, essentially, what, what it will cover. Right, and so if you're looking at um, a statement uh, declaration for your uh, insurance, then it'll say like 50 slash 100 slash 50, so that you'll have a better idea, hopefully, next time you see that. Because I know personally, um, in my younger years, before I learned to ask questions, I would often just not address things I didn't know just because I didn't want to seem unaware or uninformed, unintelligent, however you, you fill in the blank. And so I wouldn't always speak up when I didn't fully understand something. So it's always good to, to look for those definitions. Yeah. And we know we don't want to spew a ton of facts at you in this episode, but I thought we have a few figures that we feel would help you visualize this overall, you know, risk uh, environment. And so, so one thing is in Illinois, the minimum auto coverage, and we're talking about the three slashes, is 25, 50, 20. We looked up some statistics from the Insurance Information Institute. So the average claim from 2016 to 2020 for a liability was uh, 23,000 and some change. And so if you think about that, that's the average, right? But there could be an event much higher, much higher than that. Yes. Okay, if I'm going around with the Illinois minimum, what's going to happen? You know, if if uh, you're in a wreck and it's... Yeah, they'll only cover up right. to that amount. And then you are personally on the hook for the remaining amount due. Right. So talking about umbrella coverage, a lot of times these are called PLUPS. Uh, that's just the acronym Personal Liability Umbrella Policy. Uh, it It's exactly what the imagery describes. It's a umbrella covering over you. Uh, you could have one of those policies at a pretty affordable price point, you have your auto coverage, but then that steps in and supplements if you're in an event that 
it goes beyond those specific limits that you have on that coverage. And same with your um, homeowner's insurance has a certain amount set for personal liability, and those are typically pretty low. So a lot of people who have any level of assets might consider looking at an umbrella policy to make sure that they're not leaving themselves underinsured in that way because if there was some sort of a, a lawsuit or, you know, unfortunate, un, yeah. un, unfortunate event, there it is, that way they'll have some coverage um, to for a smaller amount. I think that what we looked up, the average was somewhere between 150 to $300 annually for a, a million-dollar policy. Yeah, it's relatively affordable for, you know, at least a million in coverage. Uh, personal experience story from this is my dad in the past was on a you know travel softball league and he was in some type of leadership role whether they had a board or committee and he did decide to go get you know a plot plan because you know here you are taking on additional responsibilities yeah, public role public role you know I'm, you could probably think of you know bad stories that could come out of that hope you hope they don't but he assessed the risk of the chance of something happening and decided, you know what, from that peace of mind standpoint, yeah, I'm going to get this. Yeah, and when it comes to homeowners to transition that direction, um, one in 20 homes has a claim each year, according to that Insurance Information Institute. So it's, it's not the highest likelihood, but that's, I think, a pretty easy number for us to wrap our head around. Yeah. yeah. And so looking at that, um, knowing that there are majority of people who have a home um, will have homeowners uh, coverage if they have a mortgage because it's a requirement, but um, is that enough? Is it going to cover you? And this made me think of a story from maybe a month or two ago. We had a pretty good windstorm, and I was taking a walk with my husband in the early evening, and so seeing the same houses every time you take a walk, kind of get to know who's got what going on. And uh, there was a house that had a tree fall directly onto the roof and it punctured through the roof. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a nice little brick home. So that was, it was fine on the, the structure, but the roof was completely um, affected. And so it didn't take long for them to have somebody come out and take down that tree and put up some temporary roofing. And then a, a week or so later, roof company came out, replaced it. Another week later, we took a walk and they had that one for sale. So I was just imagining, I don't know these people personally, but can you imagine just being ready to sell your Stress home? And, yes, yeah. and that's already stressful enough selling a home and then having a natural event like that happen. And if you didn't have the coverage or enough coverage, you know how that would have affected your plan to, to be ready to move. So that was definitely one that made me think, making sure we have enough home coverage, especially like Matt said at the beginning of this episode, have you reevaluated it lately? Because it may not have adjusted with um, any growth in the market or cost of building materials, as you know, of course, have gone through the roof with inflation. Right. Well, another real life example, when we were briefing for this episode, Kelly and I basically both at the same time were thinking of the exact same scenario is... We had the tornadoes in Washington, Illinois, and I specifically remember some articles. I think there were some apartment complexes where people um, basically had lost everything and did not have renter's insurance to cover their personal property because you think from from the structure standpoint, you know, that's on the, you know, owner, the landlord, Mm -hmm. uh, whoever it might be, but you as a renter, you know, you're responsible for the personal property that you own inside yeah, that. All your belongings. Uh, and uh, that 
cost of renter's insurance is, is relatively inexpensive. $157 was the Illinois average back in 2019. So, you know, that risk transfer, right, high cost event, is it affordable to, to shift that risk and making that, making that decision? Yeah, absolutely. And it was interesting that we both thought of that at the exact same time because that was probably the most pertinent example that we'd both seen in our own lives and, and renter's insurance. You might not think about it. There was a time where we rented and my husband and I first were married and he was about to start in the military, so we didn't want to buy anything. And so, yeah, I, I don't think at that time in my early 20s, I even thought about renter's insurance because it just didn't even occur to me. Yeah. And I mean, maybe that's somewhat a disservice of our education system, but, uh, you know, I think back to high school, you know, it's, it's not something that they prep you for to understand. Mm-hmm. Like, Hey, here's the, I mean, that's almost a self-taught or your family is, is, you know, teaching you those type of things. So. And let's hope it wasn't a life lesson you had to learn right. or it was a exactly. negative effect. Yeah. 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 Uh, but then there's disability, which that's a whole nother, a whole nother wing of insurance. And I think this is one we probably think about the least because yeah. it's not required. Yeah. Start, you know, where to start with disability coverage is, you know, again, back to our start of this episode, take an inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have anything through work? You really need to look at that from a short-term and long-term perspective. It's, that's kind of disability is broken up into those two broad categories. Short-term basically means less than six months, long-term being six plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, not spewing facts at you guys, but the likelihood of a disability event is actually higher than a Early death, death event. Yeah. And I think we looked up one, Kelly. Yeah, there was this one stat that really caught my eye. It was one in four of today's 20-year-olds can expect to be out of work for at least a year because of a disabling condition before they reach the normal retirement age, so you know, 65-ish. And so thinking about the likelihood of that, one in four, that's 25%. Think about your friend group, one in four of you having... Yeah. And, and that number fluctuates over time and definitely with different job categories, there's more risk, less risk. But um, another interesting piece I picked up is just that statistics consistently said women are more likely to become disabled where I think maybe this is me being judgmental, <laughs> um, but I would have anticipated that it would have been males were more likely to be disabled um, during their working years. And so just thinking about those things, do you have the coverage? And another piece that just caught my eye when I was um, in this course uh, with the Chartered Financial Consultant, this specific insurance-related course. We talked about disability at depth, in depth, and one of the important pieces, and this is maybe in the weeds a little bit, was that if your um, employer is paying for your disability insurance 100%, then if you are to become disabled because that wasn't taxed to you because your um, employer paid for it, then if you are disabled, then those benefits, once they're paying out, will be taxable. So that can make a big difference because most people yeah. only get a 60% coverage. Right. I was about to say, you know, that's another thing to understand about the concept of disability is it's not there to replace 100% of your wages. Sure, sure. And, okay, if it's replacing 60 but this is a you know, employer benefit, well, now you have to knock off an additional percentage because it's going to be taxed. And so, again, taking inventory and, and taking account of what do I need, what do I have, and what do I need for the you know, amount that I'm going to transfer to have that peace of mind. Absolutely. So last, let's talk about life insurance. 
broadly, we were going to break this down into kind of looking at permanent coverages versus a term coverage. Which is more fun to say if you go perm versus term. Perm versus term. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, From a cost standpoint, uh, pretty high level in general terms, term insurance is going to be a much less expensive option than permanent or what's also known as cash value life insurance. Or whole life. Pick your favorite. Yep. Again, this is not a deep dive into how you should utilize these different insurances. This is just really a, you know, a conceptual of what are the options, what are the differences. You know, term is pretty straightforward. It's you are insuring for a select term amount of time. Yep. Uh, you pay a premium over that term, and once it passes, the insurance is gone. Uh, where permanent whole life cash value you know a premium is established and that would continue as long as you continue to fund that with premium Um, you know we talked about cost and you know advantages disadvantages part of that cash value policy there's more costs involved Um, there's kind of that investment component of the cash and the fact that the insurer is you know taking that risk transfer for potentially Your a lot longer life. time yes. than a term policy. So the cost nature of those products is Much where you see that, that divide as well. And Kelly, you had a fact about beneficiaries, something to keep in mind on life insurance as well. Yeah, I mean, as a parent of four kids, you think, okay, when I'm setting up my life insurance, I'm going to name my four children. That's kind of like the common sense, at least mm-hmm. in my mind, obvious thing to do. But then um, something that I realized uh, through studying for the CHFC is that um, a minor can't receive assets as a beneficiary of a life insurance contract or let's say you had an investment or a retirement right. account um, at work or, or elsewhere. So knowing that if you don't have an estate plan that names someone as the custodian for those funds, then the courts are the ones who decides and then that can delay those funds being actually used for your beneficiaries, so for your children. And so really to um, build up for a future episode of uh, our estate planning mm-hmm. uh, conversation, just really wanting to make sure if you don't have somebody already named in a will um, or a letter of instruction to, to think about that because there should be a, a person that you have earmarked for in case I do die before my children are the age of majority um, then I have that peace of mind right. again. Always yep. back to peace of peace mind. Peace of mind, yep. Okay, so that kind of wraps up the discussion points for this episode. I, I would encourage you again to visualize that house of security that we talked about in our introductory episode. Risk management is a very important piece of the foundation of that house. Mm-hmm. You know, think about what a catastrophe would do to a house, and you do not want that to happen. It could have huge reaching impacts to just all aspects of your, you know, working life, retirement life, and, and things like that. And so the call to action here is know what you have for insurance and make a plan for adjustments to that if there needs to be new insurance, changes to insurance. And I I would say don't focus on a silo of of one type, you know, and that's where we as financial planners could be a resource to help you, right? Say, hey, I want to make sure this fits in the the broader picture of, you know, my entire, you know, financial journey. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and know that you have resources. If you already do have insurance, you have most likely an agent who helped you with that. And if you're like me and you were a little shy to ask questions, please feel free. And, and if it's like most people in, I think, the insurance industry, I would hope that they would be happy to educate you on what the meanings are behind this and, and help you understand better. So we're here to help support, but also know you have those other resources. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us on another episode, and we will talk to you again soon. On to the next journey. Thanks for joining Kelly and Matt to learn about navigating your financial journey. Your time, ears, and brain space are appreciated. Subscribe below to be notified as new episodes are published. Visit www.palomarwealth.com to learn more. The information covered and posted represents the views and the opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Palomar Wealth. Palomar Wealth does not provide legal, accounting, or tax advice. Consult your attorney or tax professional. Representatives have general knowledge of the Social Security tenants. For complete details on your situation, contact the Social Security Administration. Palomar Wealth is part of the Thrivent Advisor Network, a registered investment advisor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be suitable for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider for any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.